speaking of thinking of the buyer and speaking of an advantage, especially now, right? The idea is that a CFO and a board has to make decisions about what they're going to invest in. Because at this point of the game, there's a whole lot of things people need to be efficient, to handle work from home, like the whole game change for a lot of companies. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Mays. Hey champions, welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where you will never be shocked at the cost of filling up your think tank. Ray from Jacksonville says that our cost per gallon is an absolute steal. So thanks for sending that over, Ray. I really appreciate the encouragement. In last week's episode, I talked with Today Bogatai about complex universal problems with easy-to-implement solutions. So when you are super clear on the problem you solve and who you solve it for, lead flow becomes effortless. So if you missed it, be sure to check that out at sasfuel.com. Well, our guest this week is Keith Campagna, another SaaS founder, solving what I think is one of the biggest challenges in enterprise sales, and that is no decision decisions. You know, when you do a demo and everybody's shaking their heads, yes, and then silence. Crickets, if you're lucky. Usually it's just nothing. And then it's like, I'm ghosted again. But see, Keith has a solution for you, and it's all about making it super easy for your clients to justify choosing a company like you as their next awesome SaaS platform by together creating a compelling case for your SaaS. Makes it super easy for the client to say yes and solves the problem of being ghosted. So no surprise, Keith has actually lived it with more than 20 years in professional sales and helping people achieve great things while having as much fun as possible. And that's probably one of the reasons we get along so well. I love to have fun, and Keith does as well. So Keith is now the chief sales officer and equity partner of the sales enablement company, The ROI Shop. He helps companies reduce no decision outcomes, grow sales, and retain salespeople. It's really important in today's market. And whether Keith is catering to his two teenage sons or spending time in Costa Rica or hosting original live music from his Pennsylvania-based home, Keith lives and loves bringing life and work together. So let's give it up for Keith. Today's episode is sponsored by my book, Small Fish Big Pond, building a world-class business that swims circles around competitors. So why do some companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? What do exceptional SaaS companies do that mediocre companies don't? And what can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful business lessons guaranteed to change the way you view your business and includes hands-on exercises and growth tools to get lightning fast results. Get your copy today at smallfishbigpond.com. Use the code SASFUEL to unlock special bonus content. Hey, Keith, welcome to SASFUEL. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. Well, tell people a little bit about your background and uh, about the ROI shop. Sure, sure. Thanks. So I've been in sales since I got out of school. My uh, first job was selling forklifts and warehousing systems in Northeast Jersey. 
which is a very interesting way to learn about selling, real world selling, right? In 2006, got into human capital management software, pretty much stayed inside of the HCM, HR tech most of my career. I spent a couple years with Concur, who, and I was actually there, there to do like finance, technology, expense, automation, spend management stuff. So I got to really, over my career, I spent a lot of time in the HR world which kind of over time blended into the CFO world and the CEO world. And I also got a decent amount of exposure to finance and, and the way CFOs and think about not just growing the company, but how to manage the cost of a company and maybe those concepts of efficiencies and improvements. So when I was at Concur, which is an expense automation software, that you know, they were acquired by SAP when I was there for a little over $8 billion. So in terms of a company that understood sales, they were the best I've ever worked with. And part of that experience was that they partnered with the ROI shop. So anyone who's been in sales knows that an expense report is annoying as it was all get up. Yes, they are. Right? It, however, if, if you automate it, it becomes a lot easier, a lot happier of a process. So I spent the first two years of my career at Concur before the ROI shop trying to convince CFOs that it wasn't a nice to have, it was a need to have. Entered the ROI shop where I was literally quantifying the business impact of every step of the expense automation, all of the ecosystem that's around business travel, and it became a hot knife through butter. Once the CFOs saw the value, it was easy to get their approval. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm working for a recruitment software company out of Silicon Valley. I reach out to one of the founders. We regroup, and then we start building a value calculator for them. And then what wound up happening was an investment firm came in and basically cut 40% of the sales team, including yours truly. I then went to Mike Farber with an idea called HROI to help the HR practitioners out there build a business case because they never really get training on business acumen and financial conversations. And then from there, that was the end of mid-2019. And then since then, I've just been uh, a part of the ROI shop. And what we do is we basically work with companies. They have a product. They have their sales reps understand feature functionality. And most of them fall very short of helping their sales reps understand financial impact. So what we do is we build a value calculator that's collaborative with buyer champions, makes the whole process very easy and believable. And then the net result is an increase of win rates, increase of sales price, Happier sales reps, happier sales leaders. It's a fantastic ride. We're having a great time. Thanks for asking. That's great. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You think about uh, business and finance, and it, it's really understanding who your your buyer is. And for the, the sales reps in particular, for them to be able to speak that language of CFOs is really a game changer and present to them data that, that allows them to make a decision really easily. Yeah. And, and you think about the way most sales processes go. We sales reps, we eat, sleep, and breathe our product, our services. Right. Then we meet a stranger. They spend maybe four hours of their whole life with us, right? And they've got all this other stuff going on. And then we leave it up to them to go present to the CFO. Right. Doesn't it make sense to like have (laughs) – give them something? We gave them a demo. We gave them a a proposal. Why not give them a business case? Right. And and it's amazing what happens. It's a lot of fun hearing feedback – our clients get from their prospects turned clients about how much easier it was for them to buy because they had the business case. 
And that makes sense too, because you're really making it very easy for them to go make their case. I think a lot of times buying decisions are emotional. And so they've chosen the solution that they want, and now they have to go justify it to their peers, to their their CFO, to their board, whoever it is that you know that they're making a good decision, and they need to be able to lay out that business case. So you know, you making that easy certainly gives uh, gives you an advantage. Yeah, and speaking of thinking of the buyer, and speaking of an advantage, especially now, right? The idea is that a CFO and a board has to make decisions about what they're going to invest in. Because at this point of the game, there's a whole lot of things people need to be efficient, to handle work from home. Like the whole game change for a lot of companies. Doesn't it make sense? Like if there's 10 investment options, you know the CFO is looking at the ROI. They want to know what the business impact is going to be. And if you show up to the room, there's nine of your counterparts. Let's just assume 20% of the room brought a business case. Well, if you didn't, there's a really good chance you're not going to get that approval right away. And that's really where it comes into play, right? There's just so much more beyond the sales process that sales organizations need to identify with. It's not just content management, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's way more than that. So ROI tools are not necessarily new. We've seen those over the years. And I mean, I have tons and tons of proposals sent to me for various things. And sometimes they show ROI. And it, it seems like you know, in, in a lot of cases, that ROI just never happens. So what is different about uh, what you're doing today to really measure that? So not, it's not just part of the sales process, but to, to really understand, you know, what is the, the true business impact down the road? What have you seen? Yeah, so there's the feature functionality element of it, right? Like if you're going to use an Excel spreadsheet, once you hit send in that email, you have no idea if it's open, who saw it, who believes it, who cares, Right. And that's why you see a lot of no decisions because they're emotionally uneventful and they might be complex. So the reality is if you can put in, I mean, if you think about a discovery process and discoveries these days have a lot of attention, they're collecting the current state. And so then what our tool does is we allow our clients to put context around their prospects current state. In other words, if you're going to say that you automate whatever process, There's the opportunity here where you say, you know, with a video testimonial right next to the question or a case study hyperlink, you know, our clients see a 35 to 40%, 50%, you know, decrease or increase, right? How much do you, buyer champion, think you're going to get? And then because of that answer, we're able to move that current state that we just collected from the buyer to the future. And now they're like, oh, that's what it looks like. But we could take it a step further, go down the rabbit hole, take them down the rabbit hole the whole way. Okay, so now we just saved you 15 weeks of time for your team. What now can you do with that time? And we're entering this information in and sharing it with the buyer, right? And then there's this dollar amount that comes out of that. Well, now we just went through this, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer Champion. How much do you think this is going to be real? So we move it from 100% to maybe 75%. What do you think your CFO is going to buy into? Well, maybe we move it to 50%. And so <laughs> That's true. Right? And so here's the gig. ROI isn't rocket science. It's just been neglected because sales has been selling on feature functionality. And what happens is we make the buying experience better. And people buy because of the way they feel about buying, right? So if there's three vendors and they all go through the same process, 
there really isn't that's where you like that's when you have three different vendors forecasting the deal knowing two of them are going to lose right so what separates the buying people's sales process from each other is really the buying process and we have a methodology that helps our clients literally move the entire buying process to their sales process because we're injecting a financial conversation we're not just ending the demo and saying when can please call us back, right? We're actually saying, right. let's go through this. So the methodology, along with the accuracy, makes it believable. Sales reps sell, so they start using it. Adoption is not that much of a challenge with us. It's a challenge with everybody, right? Because salespeople are especially Of course it is. Right? But what it boils down to is the buyers enjoy it because then this goes back to what we were talking a little bit earlier. They have confidence that they can then go to the CFO and say, this is what's going to happen. Drill me. Ask me all the questions. I've got all the answers right here. And that, it really removes, I mean, let's face it, Excel was made in 1985. <laughs> My children were made way sooner, later than that. And they've changed a substantial amount, right? Like, Absolutely. Time to move on from Excel. Yeah. No, that's funny. 85. It really hasn't changed a lot. No, no, not in this capacity. And, right. and I'll be honest with you. We work with people that... You know, you get sales engineers thinking that they have to have every single element of business impact and they create a spreadsheet that can make you cry because it's so complex. Right. The beauty about one of the things that we feel makes a lot of sense is that the ROI shop was literally created by sales rep. Guy who understood that if you can make it simple, people buy simple. You make it complex, they stop buying. And so simplicity buyer confidence, and just good old-fashioned, what can you do with this time and money conversation? <laughs> no, that, that's really good and 100% right in making it easy for them. I mean, complex absolutely fails, and, and the simple is a way to really scale revenue quickly. Yep. So on the, the surface, the ROI shop kind of looks like you know, a financial tool. So it's really giving them you know, a business case but uh, I think the, the underlying thing that we've talked about here is, is it really does support that emotional sale. I think all sales are, are emotional. You certainly have a, an emotional component, even in the B2B world. So it's, you know, am I going to have my job in six months? You know, is this going to be a good decision? Is this going to come back to bite me? Yep. You know, the old thing, nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. So it really gives them a solid business case that they can take and present in a really easy way to support that decision and make them feel really good about that buying decision and make you know, other people in the organization feel that way also. Yeah. And we actually, at the risk of sounding like, um, I guess this is kind of an interview about the ROI shop, but what we have going on is what we consider a value platform. So if, we, if you think about the idea here is to get a buyer to think in terms of business impact so that they can then show that business impact and get approval using your software, right? So how does that work? Well, a buyer is going to start their buying process by going online. So we have website calculators that we consider back of the napkin tools. At the, the output of that is that the prospect or the website visitor gets a PDF that shows back of the napkin numbers. Nice. Right? The client gets an email address. So now that's a follow-up, just like any other one, that could lend itself, oh, so it looks like you're interested in learning what the business impact was. Well, part of our process is that we actually provide you a full-fledged business case that's fun to do. And every input you give us, we give back to you. There, and then you get to change it and go socialize it. Nine out of 10 times, the, the prospect's like, okay, I'll do that. 
So then we get to the value calculator, and that's really what we were just talking about. But Jeff, the, the real interesting element is how our clients are responding to the next part, the value realization, right? So now we have pre-sale, and now we can create a value calculator that says, okay, six months ago, this is where you're at. Let's look at where you are now. And then by entering that information, you click a button, you have a case study sitting right there that actually quantifies what's going on and allows you to make changes to improve it as well. I think one of the hardest things to do is to, one, get clients to do case studies, but you know, capture the, the before state and then the, the after state right. and, and do that in, in some way that's standardized, that's accurate. And uh, you know, it's so many times you get down the road with a, a client and six months later, they've implemented the solution and it, it's hard to remember what life was like right. back before. Or you miss things or like, wow, I wish I'd measured that because this is something that they're saying is a big impact now, but we don't know what it was in the beginning. Right. Yep. And we see it all the time. Believe it or not, we have our value calculators and our value realization calculators for the ROI shop. Right. And it's incredible. For us, it's been fantastic because we are getting client feedback with incredible results. So it makes it that much easier to say, all right, now it's time to set up your value realization calculator. Right. Now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, from forklifts to HR to ROI, I mean, you've had lots and lots of different experiences. Uh, you know, what's uh, you know maybe one of the funniest things that happened in your your business experience, your business life? Oh well, uh, that depends on the 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 age of the audience. Uh, that's my <laughs> answer. One that I thought uh, that came to mind when you said so, I'm going to go with it was I had a conversation. This is when I was selling recruitment software for Jobvite, and. I was working with what you might consider a senior level chief human resource officer who she was not, she, she certainly is not buying uh, Ethereum, right? She's a little bit not up to speed with technology. And in some way, shape or form, I had spoken to her on my cell phone and I had her phone number. And then later that night, I went out and I saw a bunch of friends. We went to a concert and one of my friends had gotten a new number or whatever. And I wound up assigning his name to her number, right? <laughs> and then fast forward like a week and she called, the number rings and I answer the phone. I'm like, what's up, dude? And she's got like <laughs> mad at me because I answered. Oh, the that's too funny. <laughs> <laughs> it wound up actually, it bothered her so much. She went to my boss who when, when I picked up the phone from his phone call, he was cracking up laughing. He's like, hey, what's up, dude? I'm like, oh, no. No, that's too funny. (laughs) I mean, we were grownups. This happened like three years ago. And I was just thinking like, I explained myself. Oh, my gosh. I must have put your number right. But that one, there's a nice safe one for you. (laughs) Oh, that's a a good one. Indeed. So all of the the experience that you've had, if you could go back in the, the beginning and you could tell yourself something before you became an entrepreneur, you know, what would that advice be or what would you tell yourself? So it's kind of funny that I'm just going with what's in my brain here. I've always been an optimistic person. Depending on who you talk to that knows me, there's a varying range of fearlessness in the, about me, right? Like I, I'm either not aware that I'm, I should be afraid or I just don't think I need to be. And over time, I always, like I remember just after you asked me that question, I remember coming across a book or an article or something, or the, but the phrase that stuck out was, if you're in the future and anything that you want could, has arrived and you could tell the person you are today not to worry about anything, just allow it to happen 
and just do like find your focus, identify what you truly, what you're passionate about, everything's going to work out. And so I, in reflecting right now, I can tell you that the times in my life that were harder than other times was because I forgot that part, really. And the idea of, um, you know, I've always loved selling. I've always loved getting to know people. I'm a social guy. I've always enjoyed helping people. My mother's a retired ICU, CCU nurse, right? So the notion of being able to help people make an impact to be happier, I just really, I kind of fell in love with. And now I get to do it all in, you know, as part of the, you know, equity in the ROI shop. It's what I do for a living. It's awesome. Yeah, that's that's really fulfilling when you get to to do something that is a passion project and, and you get to make money with that. So is that is impact really what drives you? Is that why you do what you do? I do what I do because I'm a have fun first kind of guy. And I've actually, you know, to you and the audience, I challenge myself because I want to live a life I feel is worth living, period. Unapologetically. And with that comes Okay, well, I need to define that for myself. And from doing that, and this is not just a key thing, this is just a creativity thing, the, the, the path presents itself. You just have the have the, you need the audacity to think, well, that path is, I think is the right way to go, but there's no lights there. I'm still going to go. I'll see what happens when I go down that path. That's good. We're going to take a quick sponsor break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Keith if sales is a skill that anybody can pick up or if it's something you're born with. Ever feel like you're in uncharted waters or wish there was a checklist or clear path to follow for your stage of growth? Well, we are one. Champion Leadership Group helps SaaS founders scale from 1 million to 10 million to 20 million and way beyond. Do you know only one in 40,000 companies grows to 10 million in revenue? The rest stay small or die along the trail. Building a business is treacherous if you go alone. But instead, travel with experienced SaaS founders and expert guides who help chart your course to consistent results, impact, and freedom while providing support every step of the way. Create your free SaaS growth map at championleadership.com. Welcome back to SaaS Fuel. My guest today, Keith Campania with the ROI Shop, and we're talking everything sales related to SaaS. So Keith, you are a trained sales professional. That is your passion. And a lot of our listeners are technical people who have moved into a CEO role. They've started a business, entrepreneurs on their way to growth. And sales is not necessarily something they've been trained in or maybe something that they just love. So is sales a skill that they can learn? Or what are the things that they need to know to be either really good at sales or at least suck less? Right. I really like that question. To give my whole answer... I have to share with you in the audience that uh, in addition to heading sales here at the ROI shop, I also have my own consulting practice, which is all about mindset development, exact, not just executives, but I do work with executives and it's real. it's called life work integration, which is the way to like what the ultimate goal is to allow companies and individuals to understand the, the concept of what they want. So they can become more creative, identify what that, how to get there, and that reduces fear. And so the idea here is that if I am an entrepreneur or I'm technically savvy or I'm just not a, a salesperson, right, and there are plenty of people out there, they have to get out of their comfort zone and become uncomfortable with the idea of acting and speaking differently than they normally would. 
But the really good news is, is that if you're in a business, somewhere in the back of your mind, you know there is a problem that you're looking to solve. And that's the conversation that you really have, right? So the beauty of sales is that it's not rocket science. You just have to be able to stop thinking about what you think, right? And start asking questions to understand what the person in front of you thinks. So if I was going to sell you something, I need to understand what problem my something solves for you. And if you're not a salesperson, you don't need to be a salesperson to do that. Right? If you're gone anywhere in a business, if you're an entrepreneur or an innovator, you understand that there's a market out there. Now, I think a market to be served. You know, I think it's worth mentioning that not a lot of people get this skill. They're so dialed in. I've met them, right? Like with LifeWork Integration, I do a lot of entrepreneurial work, right? I work with startups and then I work with the five-year-plus companies and so like the entrepreneurs and it's interesting to see how many aha moments because somebody might have an idea about a product or a service that really impacts a market, but they've never gone to the market to ask. And so, so that's the overwhelming like answer, like the big answer, right? Like just understand it's a conversation about what the problem is, how you solve it, and then what the person that you're solving the problem for can do with their extra time, money, and resources, right? And then from there, you really, it gets, it's like, uh, I just, it's the master's weekend, right? Like, do you remember the old Nike Tiger Woods commercial where he's like, it's easy to hit a golf ball. You just go down and he shows a swing. And then he's like, but don't forget. And he starts to like speed talk through like 60 different things that you need to be able to identify with, right? So effective sales has everything to do with know the problem you're solving for, know the person that you're talking to. How does it impact them? How does it impact their company? And where, how does your solution stack up against all the other things that anybody in any other company can be doing? In other words, what's their ROI, right? Funny enough, it comes back to that, right? <laughs> it does. And then when you do that, you can ultimately work with them to, to, to go through the process. You know, Jeff Gittimer is a huge influence of mine. He uh, wrote a bunch of sales books and he always said, nothing is sold until somebody buys. And so understanding how somebody buys is the best way for an entrepreneur or somebody who's not in sales to actually start selling. So how do we create that, that buyer's journey, that buying process instead of historically, it's really been, we're going to create our sales process, our sales funnel and jam people into it. So how has that changed and how do we create a buying process? Ask them what their buying process is, right? Right, I, And I know it feels easy for me to say, but I'm thinking of this with empathy towards those who don't have the comfort level, right? It's a matter of focusing on the buyer, 100%. That's my personal belief, right? Nobody cares what I sell. They care about uh, one, one great line I heard recently is nobody needs to buy a two-inch drill bit. What they need is a two-inch hole. Right. That's exactly correct. Right. And to ask a buyer, okay, so we've recognized the problem. You believe that I'm a viable solution for that. What's the next step? Right. And then it's who else needs to be involved in that next step? And then it's funneling and channeling your inner eight-year-old. What's next? What's next? What happens next? What if that doesn't happen? What do we do next? Right. And you massage that into a more pleasurable conversation. And what happens is it's not a sales process. It's not a buying process. It's a process that two companies are working on. And I got to tell you, I've had, you know, throughout my career, I've had the pain in the ass buyers. I've had the amazing buyers. 
The fundamental difference is that the amazing processes that I've had have been with people that allow me to give them value so they can take it back and feel good about it and share it and be the hero, right? If you just say things like, oh, my company was made, we were founded in 2006. Who cares? Nobody cares. And that's the thing. Like I have, I love my marketing colleagues, right? They're working hard and trying to solve a problem for sales. But, you know, nobody cares about your business. Nobody cares about your two-inch drill. Nobody. <laughs> they care about the two-inch hole that they need, right? And even like there's just to drop a name for those listening, check out Brett Adamson from Gartner. He's out there on LinkedIn. They have a very real – so far as I'm concerned, they're the ones hitting the nail on the head as it relates to how to sell faster. It's called sense making, And sense making is the idea that there's so much marketing going on in the world and there's so everybody's got a great marketing brochure. If you line 10 of them up, the buyer is going to say, these all look great, but I don't know what to do with them. And if you can understand that and you could accept that you get to help buyers – make sense of what it is, you're helping them see the future in a way that maybe the other vendors don't because they're talking about they were founded in 2006 and our widgets are better than their widgets. You'll lose the, you'll, you just turn into minutiae. You turn into sales noise. Yeah, I like that. So it's really, it is about the, the whole, it's about the result, not about, it's about the buyer, yeah. not about uh, what we have to sell. And I'll tell you this, Jeff, COVID came, and the sales world got flipped upside down, turned around, thrown on a roller coaster, thrown out, picked out of the garbage can and washed off a little bit, right? Everyone starts focusing on the top of the funnel stuff because that's all marketing because you got to get people in the pipeline, right? Right. But the reason why marketing exists is because salespeople don't have enough empathy and compassion towards the people they're prospecting towards to actually connect. And so if, if you focus on the buyer and not how many emails are sent and, and not what the content looks like. And is this logo the same color as our brand? Like, it does it not matter. It does matter in some capacity. But you know where I'm going with this, right? It only matters if the buyer thinks it does. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the, it's the only opinion that counts. Read about that in my book that, uh, you know, it, it's not our opinion that matters at all. It's all about the buyer and what they care about. So if they say it's valuable, that's when it, that's when it becomes valuable, not because... We created something awesome. Right. And that's a little bit hard to take as a, an entrepreneur, as a founder, as somebody who, who makes something. You know, people are, are making great software and put that out in the world. And it, it, it's hard to, to hear, you know, maybe your baby is ugly. Yeah. You know, and if, if it doesn't have what the buyer wants, it's ugly. Yeah, that's right. Or you have the wrong buyer. Right. Ah, there we go. People like people buy ugly art all the time. Right? <laughs> they but do. That's what you learn. That's and it's funny. Uh, again, you just triggered a memory. As I was getting, I shared the story about how I got to the ROI shop earlier. Mike Farber, who's one of the founders, he and I went to HR Tech at the end of 2019. Okay, so now I am very familiar with a lot of these vendors. I spent a lot of the previous year and a half on the same circuit with them, speaking conferences. When uh, when the big crowd goes back into the big rooms. There's nothing but CEOs and vice presidents of sales and sales reps to talk to, right? So I got a little network inside of the HR tech world. Well, don't you know, right? Here now, we're just walking around, right? And everybody there wants to tell you what they do, which isn't a knock. It's kind of what you do at these tech conferences, right? So we would just like, we'd walk up and they say, oh, Keith, you're with the ROI shop. What do you do? And, and all I had to do is, well, before I get there, why don't you tell me what you do? And 
man, they just let it out, let it out, let it out. And we would be talking to CEOs, we'd be talking to CROs, sales VPs, everything. And then at the end of their their exhale, right? I go, so how do you prove and show your prospects how much money they'll make or save by using your product? And Jeff, they were just like, we, we don't. We just tell them it works and they believe it. Right. That's what the ROI shop does. And they're like, oh. And then we just started blowing up inside the HR tech world. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun, dude. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great pitch. Yep. Yeah. It's that simple. And yes, there's, you know, the devil's in the details. I mean, you and I know that being an entrepreneur is not easy, right? And, and maybe this is a way that I could kind of change lanes on you. I'm a big advocate of mindset especially in today's modern world where, you know, and I say that because if you're an entrepreneur, you've had to focus a whole lot on what your product and your market does and how you're going to make a living, period, right? Depending on where, how successful you've been, you're really dialed in, which could be very stressful. And what I want to remind everyone listening is that finding ways to consistently make a habit of reducing stress will ultimately result in being more creative, And being more creative is what gets you that weird thought that goes, wait a minute, I do have an ugly baby, but they buy ugly paintings all the time. (laughs) Right. Why didn't I? And you know, how many times has anyone out there ever heard the phrase, why didn't I think of that? Where did that come from? It's been there the whole time, right? The reason why you don't see it is because there's a stress blocker that's making you focus somewhere else. And I personally feel that like, if you could come to terms with how to manage stress, you can't remove stress. You have to fine tune it. You turn that into an instrument that makes really you know, powerful moves for you. You won't stop selling. No, that's good. And that and mindset is definitely something that drives business forward and changes the, the dynamic when you can, you can take a step back. And instead of working in your business, really working on it and, and just taking that step back and removing yourself. So some people think that mindset is is one of those kind of woo things, or it's not something that has a lot of value. How would you respond to that? I mean, what what specific things have worked well for you? Oh my goodness, Jeff, that is a Pandora's box that I appreciate you asking. So let's backtrack a little bit, right? Is is mindset woo woo? No, because before there was woo woo in the last eighteen months or whatever, you had mindset. What was your mindset? right? And how's it working out? Listen, I worked in global software companies and they are very serious about growing the business. And there are people that make a lot of money. So they make a lot of money about being serious and they get stressed out very quickly if they think it's not going to happen again, like it did last quarter. So there's a reality check here that the world of selling is a very real one and it's not exactly forgiving, right? hundred percent right. The world of entrepreneurship is I'm going to tear fabric, the fabric of reality, and I'm going to do something that's a little bit better, a little bit different than anyone else has ever done it. So you have a mindset that's focused. What I think needs to be heard, and I think people, if you don't believe it, then ask yourself why you don't believe it. The question is, are you enjoying the ride? Are you as good as you possibly could be when you're overstressed? Again, Stress isn't about not being there. You know, one of my life work, life work integration is my consulting practice. But one of my key elements is that to turn stress into a competitive advantage. That's what my clients wind up achieving, right? So it's not about reducing stress. It's about where, what's the net result of my mindset as of today, right? All of this time. And the truth of the matter is 
when everyone, all those entrepreneurs are out there focusing on what they do, they might not be aware of all the science and all the data and all the research that has gone on in the last five to 10 years that basically make it a non-discussion. If you want to get better at your work, get better at yourself. Be more compassionate. Understand what motivates you. Are, you know, am I motivated by making a million dollars this year? If so, why? Right? What is it about that? And most people will come to terms with the idea that they could go a little bit easier on themselves. So then how do you do that? Right? Which gets back to your question. The way anybody could start is by, instead of watching the news, forgive me, I haven't watched the news since 2011. You're probably better for it. And I'm surviving, just so everyone knows. And probably more informed. This isn't a blurred out background screen. This is the house <laughs> and, and the lights are on, right? Like, I'm okay. The truth of the matter is your attention is going to something that might be causing you more harm than good. So why not take a little bit of that time and move it to something that causes more good than harm? Go to YouTube, Google or YouTube, easy ways to feel better. And what you'll find are things like take a nap, breathing exercises. I'm a huge fan and advocate and of meditation, right? It's incredible to think it's absolutely free. And over the last six years, I've gone through some personal stuff with going through divorce and getting laid off. And I tell you, I started meditating. That's the one habit I've maintained the whole way. And with proper meditation, you get to, so far as I believe, and this is what life work integration is about. You understand meditation long enough, well enough, you could start manifesting. You could start creating the life that you feel is worth living. And it starts with being able to breathe. And a lot of people out there are going to say, I can't meditate. Right? I don't know how to sit still. And my brain just flares up with ideas. What the mainstream media and a lot of people don't understand is that that's 1,000% okay. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, I tell people, sit for one minute a day. Put a timer on your phone and just sit for one minute with your eyes closed and just do that. Don't worry about the outcome. What happens is magical as it relates to the way your mind starts to relate to your brain and your body and your breathing and all that good stuff. So believe me when I tell you, this is work. Because you're changing yourself and you're retooling yourself. But the, at the end of the day, it gets you to be and feel the way you want to so you can accomplish the goals you want. I'm a single dad with two companies and two teenage boys. And I owe a lot of what I'm experiencing to the notion of understanding myself, understanding mindset, understanding meditation, and, and a lot of other stuff that comes with that. Yeah, I think the effects of, of just taking a few moments out and just being still, just taking that time and releasing some of that stress. So it's not about just getting rid of all the stress, but it's about channeling that and managing it to, to make it productive. So you've got all that energy and using it in a way that's productive or just taking a little bit of time out for yourself, taking time to, to relax, you know, whether it's mind, body, both, but just to just take that time for yourself as an entrepreneur. I think it's something that we don't do nearly enough Right, is take time for ourselves. We're always concerned about everybody else and, and making sure that, that nothing happens you know, to the business. Or if I take time off, that uh, the business is going to fall apart. But it's that's a really important thing is to take time for yourself yeah. as a person. And I'll add this too, something I haven't mentioned yet, but prior to getting, actually it happened when I got laid off in 2019, but from 2017 to 2019, I co-hosted a podcast called The Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show. And the host, Ira Wolf, him and I spoke about the future of work, which is really the theme. 
So can you imagine once a week, we were talking to CEOs, we were talking to HR tech, we were talking to innovators, book writers, thought leaders. We had so much great conversation about what it takes to make change happen, what it takes to be able to lead a company, what it takes to change yourself, right? And then we kept saying how like, and one of the catchphrases that Ira came up with was don't let the shift hit your plan, right? Because everything's always changing. And then COVID came. So I could tell you with absolute certainty, there is opportunity here for improvement. And, you know, not to take anyone away from SaaS fuel, but like if you want some quality content with real people making positive change, go check out the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show. It's still going on. I just got too busy with the ROI shop. I, I had to uh, thank Ira for all of his time and helping me, but got to grow business, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll link that in the, the show notes as well. Nice. Nice. Thank we'll you. We'll link to the, the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, you know, what is uh, one thing that you've learned you know, as being an entrepreneur, running companies, being a parent, going through all the, the things that you've done, the transitions, all the, the shifts in, uh, in life? You know, what is one lesson that, uh, that you've learned that you think everybody should know at some point in their life? Yeah. You know, some lessons you learn the easy way, some lessons you learn the not so easy way, right? When I went through the divorce, so I'm one of those guys that happens to be the primary parent, right? It's called the 80-20 rule. The boys are with me 80% of the time. And with that, I've always, even back then, I was the guy who helped people. I was a guy who would be easy to I easy pick up the phone and whether or not people wanted to talk or needed any kind of help. The answer to your question is be okay with asking for help. Because you cannot do everything on your own, whether it's professional or personal. And it doesn't mean that you can't do everything. It just means you can't do it on your own. And if you truly want to succeed faster, smarter, get help. Ask people. Be okay with being vulnerable. Lower your own expectations of yourself so that you can make a mistake. Because if you don't make a mistake, you don't learn from the mistake, right? Hopefully, a mistake won't cost you $2,000 like I learned because I didn't ask People, I just went out and bought something that wound up being a total waste of money, right? But like that was me. Like, so after that, I thought, okay, so you're on your own here. You could have asked for help and you wound up spending $2,000. So it cost me $2,000 to learn that I need to ask for help. And so hopefully people out there, it doesn't cost as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it. That's a great lesson. That's an expensive lesson. Yeah. But uh, that is a great lesson. And I think that that's important is that, that we're not alone. I mean, even sometimes it feels that way, but there are people around us that, uh, that we can ask for help. And, and when we do, they're willing to do that. Yep. You know, and all we have to do is, is reach out and ask. And people are, are usually very willing yep. to help and step in and, and contribute. Well, I'll add to that. When I got, so I was selling software in California. I got laid off. Would you believe me if I told you that I had no more than a month earlier come out of a meditation realizing that to live the life I want to have, I need to sell my own software, not somebody else's, right? And then I got laid off a month later. So believe me when I tell you there's something to this manifestation thing. So now, so after I got laid off, I started really putting an effort to becoming an entrepreneur, figuring out what I wanted to do with life work integration, software, all that stuff. So I started doing what I consider the smart thing. I started asking people that are already doing the things that I wanted to do what they do, and what they learned. And the thing that kept coming up 
was the idea that you have to keep selling, right? You have to keep selling and you have to understand. And to me, it blew my mind because I'm, I'm like, of course you have to keep selling. Like, why wouldn't you keep selling? So I really appreciate the, the time today, Keith. And where can listeners find more about you and the ROI shop online? Thank you so much. I appreciate being on the show and I really enjoy the conversations we have on and off the camera. So thanks, Jeff. Glad to got to know you over the last couple of months. You can get me on LinkedIn. It is uh, the ROI Shops Marketplace. All the sales reps in the world are there mostly, right? So I'm always on LinkedIn. And there's uh, www.keithcompagna.com. That basically gives an overview of everything I'm doing as it relates to life work integration and the ROI Shop. All right. And we will link all of that in the show notes. And again, thank you, Keith, for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Big thanks once again to Keith Compagna for coming on the show and sharing insights and resources. You can learn more about Keith and the ROI shop at theroishop.com. And of course, check him out on all social media as well. If you are selling SaaS to businesses and want to help your prospects make a compelling case for you with just a few clicks, these are the guys. And as always, all the links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. As a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. Or leave us comments, feedback, or just let me know you're out there by leaving a message or texting 903-SASFUEL. Well, tune in next week for our conversation that will absolutely knock your socks off with Tammy Locke. Tammy has the inside scoops on all things digital marketing and ads, including what the platforms want because she's on their advisory board. Play by their rules, reduce your ad costs, and get lots more eyeballs. This was an eye-opening discussion for me, and I know it will be for you too. So check it out next week. And until we meet again, enjoy the journey.